So when it comes to uh, Christianity, the observation has been made, uh, if you're familiar with antidepressants, you know, people that get, uh, have severe lows and severe depression, uh, sometimes will be, will be put on antidepressant medications so they don't bottom out so deeply. But one of the common complaints on, on those kinds of medications is that uh, people stop not only feeling those deep lows, but they stop feeling the highs as well. And they're like, oh, I feel like a zombie. You know, my, my friends and uh, people I've known that have been on antidepressants have reported that. I feel very foggy. Not only the part I didn't want is gone, but the part that I like is also gone. So a lot of times people adjust medications or they, they try a different approach just to feel human. And many times in Christianity, uh, there's, a, there's a similar kind of problem. We uh, are not experiencing some of the lows that they experienced in the early church, at least not where we stand from our vantage point. We're not being stoned in Saratoga Springs, for instance, for speaking the name of Jesus. Um, again, in other parts of the world, that is happening. But where we are, in our context, that's not happening. We're not being run out of town. Um, the closest we might get is maybe if there was some kind of slander about a church, and that might be something that happens, uh, where people speak badly about us or, or share uh, things that aren't true about us. But in general, we avoid those lows. But some of the problem is that we also have lost our highs, our expectation of the Holy Spirit's vital, imminent, ever-present work in our lives, and a belief that He is living and active, that He is moving in some of the same ways that He did in the early church. In fact, I would argue, and though that's a very unique uh, situation in the book of Acts, the inception of the church, it's first called the church, that by and large, the things that happen in ministry are things that we should expect to continue to happen in our lives in ministry. There's not only a preaching of the word, but there is power. There is healing. Uh, there is a fill, filling of multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit on these people. There's a lot uh, of exciting things. But if we're careful, we kind of give, if we're not careful, we kind of get in this mindset of that was then, this is now. We don't really experience the lows they experience. We don't experience the highs either. We're just sort of in the middle, walking around, wondering if there's something more. But I really feel that when we read uh, the scriptures, when we read these stories that we're reading, we're going to read an, an incredible account today um, in Acts 14. We are to read them with an eye for what did God do then? What is God desiring to do now? that these things should not be theoretical or reserved only for the top brass apostles or, uh, or these people who were being persecuted, but we should expect these things in the here and now. Interestingly, in other countries, I know for sure in China, many accounts I've heard from friends that are ministering there uh, secretly, that uh, those lows of persecution um, seem to almost instigate the highs because people are so desperate and they're risking everything just to meet together. Uh, and God just shows up in these amazing and profound ways through signs and wonders, miracles. A friend of mine has a team that goes and prays for people who are sick, and God is often 
healing people and testifying to the truth of his word. Uh, they're experiencing the lows, but they're also experiencing the incredible uh, highs of the faith. Um, and that's something I long for, just so you know, in my heart as a pastor, as, a, as an individual, I long to see God's power in the world. Not because I like magic tricks, but because I see, uh, I see the kingdom as being uh, fully established on earth and taking ground on earth. And uh, I see people coming to, coming to Christ. I see people uh, being healed. I, see, I just see God's kingdom advancing. And though it's not here in its fullness, I know that someday it will be. That will be a new government, a new, a new way of the world, if you will. But right now, our present normal, you know, our sicknesses and our bodies, uh, death, these things that we just have to live with are not the way it's supposed to be. They're a result of the curse. And someday, death will be swallowed up in life. But until that day, Jesus is breaking into this world in its present order and disrupting it, testifying to the truth of who he is. And many times, through signs and wonders, you know, the, the thing that's so amazing about these stories we read in Acts is that this stuff can still happen because we have the same spirit we're following. And it still has the same purpose, that people would come to know Jesus and the truth and that the kingdom would come in their lives. And someday, Jesus will bring his kingdom in its fullness. Until then, we pray and with expectation. That's what I think we're called to do. We're supposed to read the Bible and not think to ourselves, this happened then, but praise God for what he did and then ask him, what do you want to do now? So that's my prayer as your pastor. That's my journey as I seek after God personally. Um, that's what I'm after. Not because I like magic tricks. I like Jesus being glorified and I like people coming to him and I like, I like to see people that are broken healed. So many times when people get into Google, they are fearful. So they type in what to expect when this, this, this. Let me tell you the top results. This is my own brainchild, so. What to expect. The first thing is what? What are people afraid of? <laughs> babies, yeah. <laughs> Number one fear, apparently, is babies. Many of the first results have to do with babies and children. What to expect when you're expecting. Apparently, it's a movie now, so that came up. Uh, haven't seen it. So what do you expect when it comes to babies? Uh, having and raising children is scary, and people Google about it, and I don't blame them. Second is cancer treatment. What to expect when you go in for cancer treatment? And, uh, you know, knowing a little bit of what's going to happen is helpful, you know, having someone walk you through that process. What to expect when you donate plasma? Interesting. That's the number three result. Apparently, my dad paid through a bunch of his undergrad by donating plasma. No, he paid for dates with my mom by donating plasma because they were so poor in college. So my dad could tell you about what that's like. What do you expect when you go to college? Uh, a lot the, the students who were in college recently are, are now back home and they, they now know what to expect. They might not have known before they left. Um, and then the last one is what do you expect when you go to church? So apparently it's a... It's a Something that gives people a lot of apprehension. You know, what do I expect when I go to church? And tons of church websites have a really nice walkthrough of what to expect when you go to a church. I thought that was nice. 
But if you click on the what to expect when you go to college, uh, it talks about how it's different from high school. You know, the climate of the college setting is a setting where people are expected to be self-motivated for the first time, perhaps. No one is prodding them or telling them to go to sleep early or making them do their homework. People are there because they want to be there by and large, and, and they're paying for it. Uh, classes are more collaborative learning environments, small groups, lots of breakout sessions, not as much uh, lecturing all the time. The workload is heavier than high school. Anyone surprised by that when they, when they went to college? And the professors are more like peers who are trying to help you. Uh, you know, they're, they're peers in a way. They're, they're like a sage. But the relationship with you, with you, that you have with them is one that's very much, you know, you can do research along with them and do work with, you know, there's a different kind of relationship than in high school. So people know what to expect when they go to college. And as we read uh, Acts 14, I want us to look at it like that. What, like I said, what do we expect to happen in our churches? What do we expect from God? What, what things can we see that, are, that, uh, that we should say, you know what? That's something God still does. It still has a purpose. It's something he would want to do. So we're going to look at it through that lens. What to expect when you are a kingdom person, when you are someone who claims Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ to life, lives in you, and you come uh, to follow him. What do you expect? This is Paul and Barnabas, and, it, and they begin in Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. As we read in River Dwellers earlier in the year, a speaking boldly for the Lord is one of those signs of being filled with the Spirit. People that are filled with the Spirit tend to speak boldly. And in this, in this context, because they were speaking boldly for the Lord in a very hostile environment, um, God allowed the message of his grace, forgiveness through Jesus, uh, to enable them to perform signs and wonders. And the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. So there was a plot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laocanetian city of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So pretty smart move. There was a plot afoot. And uh, when they found out about it, they did the sensible thing and they moved on. They traveled, uh, you have to keep in mind, they're traveling like hundreds of miles. It's unbelievable. You read these things so quickly. But I think they traveled 100 miles or so in this passage. And they ended up in Lystra. And there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Astounding miracle. This is something they'd probably never seen happen you know, not all miracles are created equal. You know, this is a big miracle. 
someone who was lame from birth. It's like raising the dead. High-quality miracle. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Now, Paul and Barnabas didn't speak that language, so they didn't know what was going on at this point, which is evident. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So Zeus and Hermes being the top echelon of the Greek god list, so the most powerful gods that they know of, the top of the pecking order, they, because of how amazing this miracle was, they assume had to be Zeus, had to be Hermes. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We're bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I thought it was interesting to learn that when a a good Jewish person... uh, when, when idolatry was happening, when blasphemy was happening, in other words, attributing to uh, Zeus and Hermes what was God's work, they were required to tear their clothes off, which is really funny, rip their garments uh, just, just as a protest to make a real statement. And, uh, and even as they ripped their garments and rendered their garments and just shouted, no, it's, we're telling you to turn from these worthless idols, and here you are set, trying to sacrifice to them. The living God did this. Even then, these people were so compelled to offer this sacrifice. They'd never seen such an astounding miracle. And then the bad news. Those Jews that made the plot against them from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over in the middle of this chaos. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, And uh, that's about a 30-mile walk from where they were to Derby. So uh, really interesting, interesting comment there. Luke does not say that Paul was dead. Yeah, these were professional stoners, if you will. <laughs> not like the Grateful Dead kind, but these, they had stoned people to death before. They knew what they were doing. They were very good at it. And they thought that Paul was dead. And they dragged his body out of the city. I kind of think he was dead too. Because I just think that it it looks that way. It looks like they, they thought he was dead. And that he rose up when the disciples gathered around him, which is astounding. I can't say that for sure, but I believe that. And, uh... At the very least, something extremely supernatural happened because he walked 30 miles after, after being stoned at least within an inch of his life. I mean, that's a miracle. I mean, most people can't walk, you know, 30 miles after riding the elliptical for the first time in months, you know? Like, oh, I can't. My, oh, my legs are really hurting me, you know? He walked 30 miles. So there's something really miraculous that happened for Paul. 
And think of how encouraging that was to the church. Their guy was down, and uh, he says, not dead yet, you know. Verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had reached the word, preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. That was their home base. That was their home church after all these journeys. Now, finally, they were getting a little bit of a break. So something that, uh, that really strikes me about this passage um, is, you know, obviously, number one, I want to be a church that expects God to move in miraculous ways, in healing people, in raising up people, even doing astounding miracles to authenticate the message that we preach. So I, I want to be a church where we, where we do pray and we do, we do see God's power. We point to Jesus. That's, that's one. But number two, the, thing that the, the observation that I have is we're not really going to get there if we don't have a worldview that allows for that. These people... Uh, in this time, they might be considered quaint or adorable for thinking that Zeus and Hermes were these powerful gods that could do amazing things. But the fact is, the worldview the Bible teaches is a, uh, a supernatural worldview. There is an unseen realm taught about in the Bible, a spiritual realm, where there are powers and principalities of darkness, where there is an enemy and enemies who are banded together to seek, kill, and destroy Christians and undo the work that God does. And while, and while the miracles that God does are meant to authenticate the gospel message, the things that the enemy does are meant to turn people away from God and destroy uh, the witness of God. But these people, though they were pagans to the core, though they believed in Zeus and Hermes, uh, they had this worldview that allowed for this uh, missing component in our, in our Western worldview of the supernatural to be present. And for that reason, they could even accept the work of God. But our problem today is we often don't, don't believe in that realm or we forget that it exists to our detriment because there is powers and principalities of darkness that work in the world. And those things are continuing to be effective at eroding our lives and hurting our church uh, even though we don't believe in them. Believe it or not, belief in those things does not determine how effective they are at hurting us um, or, or damaging our lives because our belief is not what makes them real. But Paul says in, in uh, Galatians 6, I believe it is. No, I'm sorry, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in, the, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. The worldview of the writers of Scripture is clearly a supernatural worldview. And a lack of belief that anything is going on besides what our eyes can see is really very hurtful to us, both in, uh, in, in missing the attacks of the enemy and attributing all of that stuff to just ourselves, or we had a bad day, or this person did this to me, misidentifying the enemy and thinking, thinking that uh, it's just this person or it's just me when there's actually spiritual powers and principalities of darkness at work in this world. And likewise, we also tend to uh, discredit or not really think very seriously about the power of God to do supernatural things uh, in, in our world. And we put all of our trust in doctors and the diagnoses that we get. Um, and we believe that we should be able to be cured of anything by the medical profession and forget to even pray to God and ask him to heal, ask him to move. But when we forget the center, when we forget the supernatural worldview, uh, we, we lose both the ability to, to uh, fight spiritually, not against flesh and blood, as Paul says, but against these unseen forces, and we also lose the ability to have faith and expectation that God could actually do something that is contrary to the natural order of this world. It's really a double-edged sword, and we're, we're victimized twice. One, by believing the, eye that, the lie that the devil doesn't exist and that there's no, uh, nothing going on. And then two, by not expecting God to do much of anything. And that's a sad state of affairs because God, there is no indication in the Bible that God has stopped doing <laughs> miracles, signs, and wonders at all. There's no uh, talk about the gifts coming to an end and no longer being relevant, the spiritual gifts of God, and there's no talk about, uh, though Satan has been dealt a death blow at the cross, there's no talk that uh, evil has been wiped out. And from the center of your heart to the evening news, you know the enemy is still out there, victimizing people, victimizing you, victimizing your family. And we're always saying, we're always forgetting who our enemy is. Uh, thinking it's the person laying in bed next to us. But the enemy is, is the devil who's seeking to, to kill, steal, and destroy God's work. So we've forgotten this center, and we've, we've lost our ability to have expectation. We've lost our ability to be protected. Uh, and and our, on our Wednesday prayers, uh, we have taken it upon ourselves to pray in an intercessory way, meaning on behalf of others, for the protection of this church, because we think it's really important. Linda Thomas has led the charge in this, but five of us, as many who want to come, can come. We sit on Wednesdays at 11, and we pray over every person in this church against the spiritual attacks that might come upon them, um, against the work that the enemy has, and the traps that he sets for the people in our church. We pray that God will fill us with his Holy Spirit because we believe that this is significantly important. Um, inter interesting, uh, I was reading a book 
by a, a conservative Bible scholar, and he was talking about how um, his translation of a certain passage of Scripture, I don't recall what it was, is that Satan has laid a trap for every pastor, basically. Like every pastor, there's a plan that the enemy has for, for evil. And we, we have to be not unaware of his schemes and be aware that he's at work. So we need to reclaim this worldview. Even these pagans in this passage had, in a way, a leg up on us because they believed that supernatural stuff was possible. They were just attributing it to the wrong power. And, and I believe that the spirits behind the Zeus and the Hermes, I think there was real power probably coming in this pagan worship. Um, dark, bad stuff. And there's dark, bad spiritual power in this world as well. And Paul and Barnabas insist that they turn from those worthless idols and pledge, pledge their allegiance to the living God. So when we talk about expectation, the word that comes to mind for me is, is faith. And an interesting thing about this passage in Acts is that this man who is lame from birth looks up at Paul when Paul is preaching. And perhaps it's, it's the words that Paul is saying and the power that Paul is testifying to. Perhaps this man has heard of miracles that have accompanied the preaching of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas have done. But this man looks up, says in verse 9, he listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw that the man had faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, when it comes to healing and faith, I feel like it's just become a very extreme conversation. People either say, oh, it's, it's by faith, like you have to have enough faith to be healed. And so the pressure gets put on the person you're praying for. And it's like, oh, well, if you didn't have enough faith, you, you can't be healed, you know? Too bad you don't have enough faith. It's a pretty horrible thing to do to somebody, right? Have you, have you ever been victimized by that mindset? If you only had enough faith, you could break free from this addiction. If you only had enough faith, you could be healed. But poor you, you don't have enough faith. So a lot of times uh, in the conversation about the supernatural worldview of, of God, uh, in, in this conversation about healing and the gifts of the Spirit, uh, people end up going to the other extreme and saying, you know, basically <laughs> what I consider the equivalent of, it's not about the, anyone's faith, it's about God's work. And so people just pretty much... Again, they're like those people that lose the highs and the lows. They don't expect much, and they're not disappointed. <laughs> um, they don't expect God to, to work and move. They don't really feel much faith, like, oh, God might do something. Uh, and I think that in many cases, unfortunately, these extreme teachings of it's either all by faith or it's not about your faith at all have led us to this weird place because we want a formula for how healing is done. But what God is, but uh, there is no formula. In fact, Jesus didn't heal people t the same way twice. Uh, in Acts 3, uh, they, they cured a crippled man, and the man didn't seem to have faith. Um, the disciples, we don't really know, but he was healed apart from any faith at all. So in this conversation, I'd like to point out, you know, it's not always, of course, about faith or someone having faith. God can do what God wants to do. God is able to do anything. God is good. God can heal even if no one has any faith at all. But I think that faith moves the heart of God. I do. 
So I'm not willing to go to this extreme of saying, you know, oh, this fatal, almost a fatalistic Christianity that just says, oh, I hope something happens. But if it doesn't, we're still getting ice cream later. It's going to be fine. You know, I'd like, <laughs> I don't want to be that flat-lined Christian who expects nothing and isn't disappointed. You know, I want to be someone who believes that God is able to do supernatural things. And that when I pray, you know, what else does faith mean? Well, it means that when we pray and ask God for something and he doesn't do it, either immediately or the way that we asked him, or nothing seems to happen at all, that we don't, that's not our litmus test for whether we're going to be a Christian anymore. Like, well, it didn't work. Not going to try faith again. Again, 100% of the prayers that you don't pray will go unanswered, generally. <laughs> so somewhere in the middle is where I want us to be, where we, where we believe that God can do anything, where we have a supernatural worldview that allows for God to come in and do miraculous signs and wonders, and where we believe it really is about him, but also that uh, we have that perspective of faith that we know that God could do it. And this is a definition I wrote up uh, just from my, for myself, and you can write this down and tell me if you think it's good. So what does faith look like in terms of, the, of God and the supernatural, or in general? And I, I think of faith as the belief that God can do anything which is held apart from what actually happens. Okay? So believing God can do anything regardless of what happens after you pray. Um, coupled with trust in his goodness and his wisdom to do what is right in a given situation. So faith is more of a holistic concept. It's, it's, I know that God could do it, and even if he doesn't do what I ask him to do, I still know that he could do it. And I believe that he's good and that he's wise and that whatever happens in this situation is according to that wisdom and that goodness and, and maybe the knowledge that he has that I don't have. That's the faith perspective, the belief that God can do anything which is held apart from what actually happens, coupled with trust in his goodness and wisdom to do what is right in a given situation. So I think we should expect God to still be working and that we should hold this perspective of faith, uh, that, that he could do it, and we trust in his goodness even if he doesn't do it in that moment. But again... Uh, when I read things like 20% of the people we pray for report that nothing happens, I say, but that means 80% of people that you pray for, things have happened. That's a pretty exciting statistic. I want to end with a couple stories. So this topic of healing, turns out that um, just, we'll just take a sampling of the churches in Saratoga. I've talked to other pastors in town, and I, I, I met with a pastor and, and was talking about uh, this idea of us expecting God to work in our world is from a very small uh, church. And he said, you know, oh, it's really interesting. You know, we prayed for this woman two weeks ago, and she was having vertigo. And he's like, she was uh, in her 80s. So he was kind of like, you know, I guess we'll pray and we'll see what happens. She's, she's getting up there, I guess, and these things might just be expected. So he, he, his point was, I didn't pray with like, lots of faith like this is going to be whatever, but this woman was having extreme vertigo. They prayed for this woman, the elders did, at the end of a service. Again, this is not like some kind of charismatic Pentecostal environment, just uh, they prayed for her. And uh, she called a week later and said, I haven't had vertigo all week since you prayed for me. This is just a church in Saratoga. 
Um, I think I've shared with you before, uh, another church, a man had tinnitus uh, ringing in his ears for uh, like 30 years since he'd worked in like warehousing. And they prayed for him and the tinnitus went away. Just gone. I mean, these are, these are kind of amazing miracles. I mean, it's not raising a lame person or a dead person, but God works in these kind of great and small ways. Uh, a mentor of mine, uh, John Soper, who I, uh, when I went to seminary, he was there and he was a great encouragement to me. I just found this testimony from him. And trust me, if you met him, you would know uh, he's the real deal. He says, as a pastor, I was called to meet a couple at a hospital. Their daughter had suffered a seizure and was not breathing. When I reached the hospital, neither the parents nor the doctor were with the child. A nurse was unplugging the flatline machines. The Holy Spirit prompted me to do something I'd never done before. Pray over the girl's lifeless body. I asked the nurse if I could pray for a minute, to which she replied, you know she's dead, right? But she allowed me to go ahead. I asked God to restore the little girl. Then I went to the next room and found the parents witnessing to the doctor. That, that's what faith looks like. Even if he doesn't, I will share. I believe God can do it. So again, the parents thinking their girl is dead are witnessing to the doctor in the next room. About a minute later, we heard a scream and the little girl crying for her mommy. It's never happened to me before or since, but Jesus is still healer. Our experience should not dictate what we choose to believe about what God can do or not do. Our experience should be informed by the scriptures and the word of God. And if the word of God says that God has done this kind of stuff, we need to have faith that he still does this kind of stuff. And we need to pray more prayers, and we need to seek God for more. Because otherwise, we're just flatlined, neither high, neither low, no passion, no desire for more of God, no nothing. Flatlined. That's not the kind of Christian I want to be. That's not the kind of church that we want to be. We come to church to meet with God, to glorify Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about consumption of the great musical worship set or even a well-put-together sermon. It's about meeting with God, expecting God to work and move among us. It's not always clean. It's not always tidy, but it is what it is. It's a family. God has placed this body together just as he sees fit. He's placed us like living stones with our broken edges, uh, pushed together perfectly so light can't even shine through that wall, a master stone layer. And God is at work in the body. And we need to expect more than we currently do and believe God for more and be aware of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do among us. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And I would just invite you, uh, take to heart uh, what you've heard today and what you've heard God saying to you. And the purpose in your heart to believe, uh, to believe and hope in the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and that God can do more than we can hope or imagine um, and seek him as if that's the reality. Because it is. God is the only one with the power to change your life. Uh, God is the only one with the power to, to do these types of signs and wonders uh, that we need to see in our world and in our church. So seek after the living God with great expectation this morning. God did not call any of us to be, uh, to just make our lives a little bit better. 
That's not why God called us. He called us to advance his kingdom. And we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom, as Paul said. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do want to be a people who are your kingdom people, who are advancing your kingdom, who are taking it offensively through prayer as we battle not against flesh and blood, but against unseen powers. We pray that you would uh, encourage us and remind us of the big picture, of your power, of your goodness, and of your desire to work in the world, in this church, through this church, in our lives, through our lives, as you advance your kingdom in Saratoga Springs. We surrender to you. We praise your name. And I pray your blessing on each person here that you would protect, enfold, and, uh, and fill each believer here for the task you've called them to. We lift all these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Go and be the church.